Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Random Retro Podcast. I am Zach, one of the hosts, and the other host is Chris. Happy New Year, buddy. Happy New Year, Zach, my great friend. Hello, everyone from around the world. Zach, excellent, excellent, excellent to see you. Hmm. Happy New Year. (laughs) Oh, we're breaking out Yoda this early in the new year. Why, it is a new year, I guess, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, Happy New Year, my friend. Yeah. The last time we recorded was... I'm not going to make that joke, but the last time we recorded was when we did our <laughs> New Year's special, right? Or our, yeah. our look back, our review of 2023. I'm looking forward to 2024, and we're back with a new episode here in 2024, the first of the new year, mm-hmm. and um, we get a chance to to dive, deep dive again uh, into another episode of Star Trek. Oh, this is a two-parter, actually, but this is one, Chris, that a lot of people have been asking about and wanting us to do, and that is Star Trek Voyager's Year of Hell, Part 1 and 2. Yeah, Year of Hell. It was a very, very intense, like, two-part episode. And, yeah. Um, yeah, whenever we have, like, a bad year, we can compare our year to this this year that Captain Janeway and the crew of the Voyager had, and then it makes us feel, uh, I don't feel as bad then like <laughs> i don't think 2023 was as bad as how the voyager crew had it in this this episode but certainly could have moments where you're like oh yeah yeah that wasn't that wasn't very fun that wasn't very pleasant right yeah yeah indeed indeed yeah um, this was an ambitious episode and i think or ambitious two episodes that was put together in voyager so um, yes very yeah. much so yeah. yeah so really quickly before we jump into mm-hmm. that yeah I wanted to make an announcement because I almost this feels like an achievement for me because I've told you guys before, if you if you've listened or watched our show uh, long enough now to know that I do enjoy reading, but I don't ever feel like I get enough time to do it or I don't make the time to do it as much as I should. And I think I said during our year end review, Chris, that my goal was to try to continue to make more time and to try to continue to read more and get my head in books and off the video games or off the YouTube or the TV or, you know, whatever, um, as much as possible and get myself in books and learning and reading more. And I was, I was able to do that. I feel successful by doing that because I did complete a book and that was Arnold's be useful seven tools for life. Finally was able to complete this book and it was a great read. I highly recommend it. Very motivational, very, um, encouraging, uh, and different tools that you can use in life for a variety of different things. So, Highly recommend the book, but I'm I'm just happy I finished a book finally. Seems oh, like fantastic. it's been forever since I finished one. That's fantastic, my friend. That's fantastic, man. I'm really, really, really happy. And see now, it'll just you'll start on this. I was like the little snowball, and it'll just snowball and build and build and build and be get you'll get on this. I hope big you're reading. right. Yeah, <clears throat> I hope you're right because Little League is starting in a couple of months, and that means I'm busy <laughs> doing that too. So it's gonna be busy, but I'm gonna do my best. My next book on the docket is the Cisco autobiography. I want to get going on that and read that, and we'll have an announcement related to that in the very near future. Yeah, man, that'll be that'll be so incredible for you to read. I want to. Yeah, I'm really curious. <laughs> Looking forward to hearing about that as you go through that that book. Yeah, it'll be fun. And I do want to say, I, I'm not going to announce it yet, but we I did just get scheduled another guest for us that will be on mm-hmm. with us at the end of February. Um, and that is uh, someone we've had on with us before. I'm not going to say who, but uh, look forward to having that individual back on with us, getting an update, talking about their lives and some other stuff and other recent projects 
and things that they've been working on. So I will announce that in the very near future uh, as we get a little bit closer to that. But that'll be sometime late next month in February of 2024 when that individual's on with us. We also have a podcast collaboration coming uh, later next month as well, I think. I'll have to go back and look and see if we've secured the date and time yet. But we will be doing a podcast collaboration with the Where's Bev podcast. So we look forward to chatting with those ladies and having a great discussion about some Star Trek captains. So that should yeah, be that's good. Yeah, that's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. I think we did secure the date because you and I were, I know we were looking at both of our calendars. Yeah, I've just got to make sure <clears throat> that, that that time, I got to go back and look at the messages on Instagram uh, when I was uh, communicating with them. So I'll go back and look yeah. at that. But yeah, that's going to be coming next month as well. Uh, we've got uh, some other great stuff coming. I'll I'll announce that when we can, um, but it's going to be great, man. We're off to a rip roar and start already this year, and we have a ton lined up over the next few months for you guys. So can't wait to share all that with you <laughs> coming soon. Oh, it's going to be outstanding. Outstanding. Yeah. That'd be really fun. Um, but that being said, that, let's jump mm -hmm. into this, Chris. Yeah. Star Trek Voyager's Year of Hell Part 1 and 2. Now, from the last time you watched this episode to this time, was it as good, better, or worse than you remember it? Um, it was definitely as good, and I want to say maybe a little better, um, because uh, yeah. So, so I I love um, either reading or listening to like different um, reading different science literature or listening to different science podcasts. So, so I love listening to ones about time. Right. And so, mm -hmm. and, and the nature of time. So then coming back to this episode um, and then connecting what this episode is saying about time and then relating that to like all these different um, theories of time and, um, and scientific um, kind of aspects of time. It was just, it was just wonderful to be able to do. So uh, just to see, see it in the episode and then see the captain um, Anorax uh, just how he is and how he's going about um you know trying to craft the universe to get what he needs um so yeah. so that was that was really really fascinating so it was, in a way it was a little bit better because you know as as i just appreciated all these like nuances of the concept of time jumping back on this episode and exploring kind of all of those different dimensions of it was was cool it was cool. How about you? Was it better for you as well? Um, I don't. I don't know if it was better, but it was. Mm -hmm. It was. It, I. I feel like it was just as good as the last time I'd watched it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's real. It's really a great episode. We're gonna dive deep into this. There's a lot to discuss in these these this two part episode, which we know Voyager is w well known for and and really good at doing these two parters. Right. Uh, this episode was 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 co written. At least uh, part one was co written by Brandon Braga who goes on to uh, be one of the showrunners of Star Trek Enterprise early on. And then also uh, the other co-writer was was Joe Minoski. Um, really, really good uh, two-part episode. Uh, for me, I look back and go, man, there's a lot of science fiction franchises that you and I both love, Chris, yeah. that deal with time travel, yeah. right? And it made me think, hey, we did this episode on our podcast pretty early on back in season one. Where we talked all about time travel and some of our favorite series and the, uh, how time travel w was, was viewed by currently by our scientists here in the real world. And so if you haven't checked that out, 
You can find that wherever you get your podcast. It's not on YouTube because it was early on in our, our, our show before we started doing video. So be sure to go check that out. You can also go on Facebook and Instagram and check us out there. Be sure to follow us as well as if you're listening on the audio side, you can subscribe to us on YouTube and follow us there for all the video versions of, uh, of our current episodes. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would say, Chris, that this episode was probably just as good as the last time I watched. I don't think it was worse. I don't necessarily think it was better, but it was still really, really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. all right, let's, let's jump into this. Let's get going. Uh, we got a lot to unpack and I, I'm sure we're going to get pretty deep in this. Cause I have a few of my thoughts having watched this again, where I'm like, Oh, man, <laughs> what would I have done? What was it? What would I have been thinking? I, I did like Chris. I don't know if you, if you like this, but I, I really enjoyed the idea that there was like a day counter in the episode, yeah. right? Where it was like, okay, so the opening part of part one of Year of Hell starts out with day one, day one. and it's void, you know, and there's this like beautiful class and planet, and you can tell some type of, you know, technologically advanced species lives there, and then high above a massive, this massive weapon or massive ship thing appears, this beam of energy shoots down, and the entire city and everything's gone. Yeah, and it's just open land. There doesn't seem to be people aboard anymore, and uh, someone on the ship reports that the, the temporal incursion is done and all the organisms on the planet have been eradicated. And this, this commander or captain that we don't know exactly who he is yet, uh, <clears throat> asks if the target event had been achieved and they say it had, that it had not. And so the commander basically is like, all right, we need to lay in a course for this home world of Zal and the entire species he decides needs to be erased from time and then it goes into the you know opening credits opening act yeah and he says it very objectively right and nonchalantly yeah right? very so cold right very, yeah, yeah very motionless cold. yeah we yeah we have to eliminate the species um and has all of the organisms have they been like uh, taking care of them are they eradicated uh so immediately there you kind of get a sense into how this individual captain anorex is um and, and he is played fantastically i think i feel just just really really well and i i grew you know i grew to like him more um as i watched this episode you know this the second time so mm, for me that's how i felt yeah I had, I had different thoughts about that but i'll i'll kind of share some more of that if i remember as we get later on into it where we we talk about Chakotay and mm -hmm. his inter and the and the Anorax's interactions and Tom Paris and so forth. But yeah, I, I I think uh I remember the first time watching it, maybe liking him more, but I, I think my feelings are definitely changed this go around. <laughs> yeah. So we'll get into that for sure. But yeah, completely could understand. Yeah. And and so when we come into act one, right, we're on the new astrometrics lab uh with with the with our lovely crew of the Voyager and they're celebrating the new astrometrics lab. It's a great accomplishment. And what, what I found funny about this scene, um, if people haven't seen it in a while, this will be like a fresher is the doctor wants to give like a lovely, like commem commemorative speech for the astrometrics lab. <laughs> he's and good at talking. <laughs> yeah. He's good at talking. And you see kind of the expressions on everyone's face, like, Oh my, here it comes. And he gives the speech. Um, and he, it, it just keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going. And so I, I love that. It's a, a fair bit of good humor um, in that, that scene. So that was nice, nice, nice. 
as they're going into I don't did you feel similarly like I I love that it was kind of a cute scene with the doctor it really was there was a meme that I found one oh. time online and there's this picture of this this girl and she's just got kind of like this like partial eye roll like she's looking up like she's getting ready to roll her eyes yeah and and it asked the question like something to the effect of of, of um have you ever gotten pre-annoyed like you just like you know somebody's going to annoy you and you're already annoyed before they even start annoying you and I'm like yeah that's that's pretty much how I felt like these these characters in this in this scene were like oh yep here he goes here goes the doctor you know he's he's going to he, he he's going to they're already annoyed before he even starts talking cuz they know what's going to happen and come next right and I thought that was hilarious and then you see Janeway's reaction when they like uh, you know bridge to the captain and she was like oh go ahead and they're like oh we got a ship coming in or on my way she's like she's been saved by the bell so to speak yep she is indeed relieved by that so that that hailing ship that comes over oh i can't remember is that the it's either a zol ship or a krennin ship uh one of them that comes over but because they end up um if it's the krennin ship it ends up saying hey why are you in our space essentially and you know this space is in dispute so I, that might be the hill that comes in for that ship. If I'm not, yeah, mistaken. I think, I think, yeah. it, I, I think it was the, the, yeah, it was a Krenim. Yep. Oh, that's right. Because they fire, this is the Krenim ship and they fire on Voyager. And it doesn't do anything because yeah. it's, it's pretty weak, right? It's, it's yeah. got very minimal weaponry. They don't pose, I think even Tuvok might, was the one that says that they don't pose a threat to Voyager. Yeah. 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 And Jane, Jane was like, why are you firing on us? We just want to make, make our way through. Yeah, and that's an important thing to to note here early on in this two part episode where they talk about how the Krenim ship doesn't pose a threat to Voyager, and we see how that fluctuates and changes throughout the two part episode because of the of the actions of the uh, the time ship, yeah, or the weapon or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So they end up um, meeting one of the Zal like essentially the Zal representatives, the Zal official. And so they have a meeting with, with the Zal um, like official. And it's interesting because you, you find out that the Zal and the Krenins were at odds, like for, for a long, long time. And that the Zal eventually were able to, at least in the primary timeline, the Zal were eventually able to like overcome uh, what the Krenins had done and be able to make their way. So that was neat that they they're able to connect with the Zal and get a little bit of history there. But but um you know something happens where you know you've got the that first crane ship come and you have that Zal representative meet the captain from the crane ship and they're not very very friendly to each other so they're kind of frustrated. And Janeway's kind of feeling like you know she's just kind of in the middle of it and she doesn't want any kind of adversity to happen with either of them um but something happens where the temporal weapon is used i think at that moment yeah it disrupts from from, from a ways away too yeah, yeah like many light years away yeah yeah and that totally comes in and it well it eliminates that zol official from existence essentially and the yeah. ships yep and the ships and then turns the uh, Krennin ship, I think, into is it, does it turn it into a warship at that time? Yes, it yeah. goes from very lightly armed, uh, lightly weaponed, no, not posing a threat to this now warship that poses a very serious threat. Yeah, to to Voyager. Um, 
Interesting of note, too, because we go from, what, day one, I think it is, when they're uh-huh. in the astrometrics lab and then they, they meet the, the Krennin ship for the first time. Then it jumps to day four when they're talking with the Zal. So as the, this episode is going on in part one and in part two, we're jumping days and weeks sometimes into the future as these different events are unfolding over the course of almost a year. Yeah, uh, I like that as far as a narrative technique. Kind of yeah. jumping around and seeing where that goes. Yeah, they got to get a whole year in in like two episodes, right? So they got they have to jump, otherwise it it'd be a whole season, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Um, I like you know as they're going through this, Janeway makes a remark to Chakotay saying, hey, "This is a this is turning into the week of hell, the week of hell." <laughs> Foreshadowing him much, huh? <laughs> yeah. At that point, little does she know that it's going to be an entire year, like gets much much worse yeah yep and it's interesting too because like you said chris when that temporal wave hits mm-hmm. and i don't know if you if you thought this but the temporal wave even though it's not quite the exact same reminded me a little bit of the wave from the nexus yes in star trek uh generation did it not yes i was totally i was thinking the same thing you were thinking okay the nexus yeah they should just call did- it the yeah yeah, the the difference here is right. It doesn't whisk people away, but it's the same type of type of concept. Well, sort of. I mean, I guess it's not quite the same concept, but in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, nexus wave, temporal wave. You know, kind of reminded me of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but you did mention like when when the wave does go through, uh, for whatever reason, because I think it's because they didn't calculate Voyager into their calculations. Uh, yeah. The wave doesn't affect Voyager. But it does affect the Kratom ship. It turned, it transforms it to now a warship. And then the warship begins to pummel Voyager with torpedoes, which easily go through the um shields of Voyager. And that th- this is that's the moment when we get into this, you know, next part of the episode. That's the moment where Voyager begins to experience severe damage and uh, things like that, which is going to now start them on this path of a year of hell. Yeah. The chronotron torpedoes, which is actually a pretty cool idea that they can, um, I mean, essentially they can pass through the ship shields because they exist in a state of temporal flux. I mean, whatever that means, right? But there, it's yeah. it's in and out of time. But um, it is kind of like a, a cool um, idea that they can do that. Um, but yeah, for, this idea yeah. that they're that they're there and they're not there at the same time is really interesting. Yeah, and Voyager gets hit hard, like hard. They have, I mean, you see this explosion along the saucer of, of Voyager, and you know you realize that. Uh, multiple decks are taken out and there are several several crew members that were injured i think 15 crew members that were injured um plus fatalities on the crew members i think two crew members or so um were lost during the, during that attack and this is just kind of the first this is just the tip of the iceberg on the attacks that come to uh come to voyager so um this was you know that the the chronotron torpedoes and the temporal weapons are just going to lay vast damage to Voyager over this entire year. Yeah. And then we also, we also see Anorax 
on board his ship in I'm guessing his either his, his personal quarters or his office mm-hmm. on board the ship or you know captain's room or whatever you want to call it and he's got this like seal what looks like a sealed kind of a glass pyramid and it contains some flock of hair which we don't quite know yet exactly what that's to but it obviously has some type of significant meaning to him yeah i like that i really like that they did that because um like we said at the beginning anorax as a captain He's very calculating. He's very objective. He's very cold. Uh, but this sense, you know, this lock of hair that he's looking at gives him a sense of humaneness or a little bit of humanity or ability to connect with him like as an individual. You know, you realize, okay, there's more to it than that, right? He, he's he got um, some sort of past, some sort of grief, something that he's dealing with. So it, it makes him more relatable like as the antagonist in our in our situation here. So um, that was a really nice touch that they did for me. Yeah, and we also meet on board the bridge uh, another one of the Krenim named Oberst, mm-hmm. who is going to play an important role later on in part two of this episode. Uh, and he mentions that they have been successful. They're excited. They're successful in eradicating the Zal from history, Yeah, which... And this is this is kind of where we begin to learn what what Tom Paris calls Anorax as a bit of a megalomaniac, right? Where mm-hmm. he reports that by doing this and getting rid of the Zol from history, the Krenum Imperium has now been restored to ninety eight percent of the power that it used to have. Because we all we know based on the 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 first time we meet the Krenum ship that they're not they don't pose much of a threat, right? At least a Voyager. So we know they're not maybe that powerful or they don't they're not maybe this technologically advanced as Voyager, uh, or at least other Krenum, not including the ship, the uh, weapon ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he mentions like there's like eight hundred and forty nine worlds over five, what they call five thousand parsecs. I don't know if they stole that from Star Wars or not, but uh, <laughs> five thousand parsecs tells you that the Krenum Imperium just went back to this massive, massive amount of of power i don't know power and control is the right word but they you know their territory expanded back to maybe what it used to be at at so at one point um but this one location keeps coming up right this colony on uh kiana i think they they say yeah kiana prime we know and we learn from this moment forward that really Anorax isn't necessarily concerned with restoring the entire Krenum Imperium. He's concerned with the people living on Kayana Prime. That's the driving force for what it is that he's doing. Uh, and so we learn very quickly that this work that all these calculations that they do over and over and over again to get things, try to get things just right and restore things a certain way. And it and even Oberus is like, look, we we had ninety percent, ninety eight percent of our power back. Like, we have eight hundred and forty nine worlds now, five thousand parsecs, which is obviously a massive amount of space. And he's not happy. Anorax is not happy with it. I mean, we learn, you know, soon after that, the reason why he's not happy is, you know, his family is on Kyena Prime. It's so he's, it was his own doing that erased his family from the 
the timeline from there, right? So what irony in that there was because in his yeah. right in his his quest in his job to kind of defend his planet in his eyes, defend defend his species against their their enemy, he did it successfully, um, but then that was at the sacrifice of his own um, family, his own colony. Completely, I, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, com- completely un- unknown to him that that was going to happen. Yeah, because I, I I don't remember. I think this happened in part two, but um, I want to say he also he it was the very first like shot of the weapon that did it right. Wasn't it the first attempt that they made to kind of restore their imperium? And that that very first time it would happen is what you know removes his family and then he's been trying ever since and every time he thinks he's got it it doesn't work yeah yeah that's right he's been trying ever since yeah anorax in a way he really reminds me of uh, captain ahab a little bit Mm, you know yeah in in this way Uh, as long as as many other captains you know have but he's just on this this quest for um, you know, that getting Kayana Prime was the his white whale. You know, that mm. that was getting that. So he was willing to, you know, sacrifice like obviously sacrifice like everything else to be able to get Kayana Prime. Yeah, there was there there was nothing that was really nothing that was untouchable in his thirst and quest to bring his family back, right? And yeah. Uh, it was interesting when when Obris tells him this, and, and his response to this, Chris, was that they had failed. They got ninety eight percent of their Imperium back, but they failed. And then he says, "Start calculations, you know, for another temporal incursion." And this is where I think he loses Obris permanently, right? Obris still continues to to do things, but but knowing that that this guy, maybe this guy's crazy. You know, we 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 just achieved our goal, right? And he's it's not good enough. We we failed. This is where I think Obris then down the road, uh, when after Chakotay and Paris come on board, becomes mm. susceptible to suggestions by them to say, "Hey, we got to stop this. You know, we we got to quit quit doing this. We got to we got to disable the weapon because it's it's not going to get any better." And there's even I want to say somewhat early on in this episode, they make a, a, a some comments and then it's, it's continued on in part two where they say that they've been at this for 200 years. Yeah. That's a long time. I and mean, imagine being on one mission for 200 years and the captain keeps telling you, Nope, it didn't work. Okay. Next, next, you know, keep going, keep going. And that this idea to get it absolutely perfect, right? This idea of he wants to bring his family back, but then hope and, and in hope by doing that, hopefully it restores the credit Imperium. But how many times, how long can they go before, they get it. They may never reach that goal. And I think, I think Chakotay points that out to him. It's like, you may never actually reach, may, may never actually be done. Yeah. I think, and I think that is an important thing. I assumed that, so it was 200 years and I assumed that they didn't age. I was making that assumption with the, with the Krenim. Um, yeah. And, and that they, because they existed outside of space time, you know, out, outside of the fabric of space-time, I guess, per se, that uh, they didn't age, but would experience, you know, those those 200 years in their, I guess, their perpetual age form right there. I have to imagine that because they're, they're doing the same thing 
like over and over and over and over and over again. And the results, you know, uh, they're not able to get the results they want. Some of them have to be going a little bit insane, like along the way, because they're doing, they're just doing that like all the time. And, and that's probably, you know, Anorax has probably lost some of his sanity in, in the last 200 years. Um, and the other officers on the ship may have as well, but, but Obris kind of in these interactions with Anorax and kind of seeing what Anorax does, uh, Obrist is starting to become, you're right, more, he's really seeing um, Anorax for what he is um, and then becoming more aware that, oh, there needs to be a way out of this. You know, this is just, yeah. it's never going to end, right? It's going to be their um, kind of uh, perpetual thing that they they have to do for the rest of their existence. Yeah, and I think I think you're right, Chris. We talked about how that maybe they're not aging, right? Because, mm -hmm. and of course, we don't know how long these crenum live, right? We don't know their their eight their life expectancy. Maybe maybe they live hundreds and hundreds of years. But I think th this idea that they're because they're outside of space and time and everything, they're not aging the same way. And what gives that away for me is when Oberus makes a comment to uh, I believe it's Paris um, when he talks about how uh, he's celebrating birthdays of family members and uh, friends and stuff that don't exist and haven't been alive for 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 a long time makes me think that he's celebrating birthdays of people that he knew but aren't around anymore because he is outside of that yeah right that's to me i think what would justify the thoughts that you had about them being you know not experience not experiencing the lapse of time because of the ship that they're in. Right. And I, I think that's spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, and, and I think that's, yeah, you, you, you could tell, I mean, I, could you imagine the morale of that crew doing the same thing over and over again for 200 years and every time they do it, Nope, didn't work. Didn't fail. Do mm -hmm. it again, do it again. And constantly calculating, calculating, simulation, simulation, calculating, calculating, simulation, simulation. Okay. Fire didn't work. Okay. Back. And it's just this like Groundhog Day effect, right? Just over and over and over again because the captain's never satisfied. This idea of Captain Ahab and and Moby Dick. You, so you just brought something up that that was, I think, fantastic because you've got the two ships. You have Voyager and you have the Krennic warship. You have the two captains. You've got Janeway and you've got Anorax. It's obvious that Voyager is going through hell during this yeah. year, right? That they're going through their form of hell. But the the time ship itself, if you've got people experiencing that and they're doing this over and over and over and over again, and able to try and get their civilization back, not able to interact with with um, their families because their families have died, um, their civilization is gone that in itself is its own form of like a purgatory or a hell. Mm. So you could look at it like they're both kind of experiencing, you know, these, these, um, these forms of hell or forms of purgatory, you know, um, Vo Voyager is very much um, intense and tactile because they're getting, you know, they're, they're getting, they're getting killed. It's a very physical form of, of hell. And then um, on the warship, it's, it's just, it's this, they're not getting physically injured, but their minds must just be losing it. If you do that over time and you realize no matter what we do, we're never going to get our families back. We're never going to get our civilization back. So, um, if I and, wait, yeah, yeah, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. I love that, that, you know, you're, you're talking about that. And then 
and then the captains uh you know we'll we'll get more to it as we explore the episode but but Janeway and Anorax they experience their own form of um trauma or insanity or having their their crews go in this this wrong direction to destruction right their own form of taking their their crews and their and their their ships to destruction so yeah yeah that's true yeah yeah no i i agree 100 um it's it's very interesting because you you do you and you see you see the breakdown of morale really because <laughs> i think about it okay so you've been doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again for 200 years and it's not working. Then you get this this event this happens, this temporal hmm. incursion happens, where ninety eight percent, right? Basically, in Obra's eyes, they've achieved their goal. They they've done it finally. They can go home. Ninety eight percent's back. You know, they're probably going to go back. Maybe their family and friends will be there now, or, or or some form of that or whatever. They can go home. And it's over. Yeah. And the captain's like, "Nope, we failed. Do it again." I mean. Uh, it, it it's actually it's a wonder that the crew didn't mutiny before this. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean. I think about that over yeah. all those years, and maybe I mean they maybe may, they may not be experiencing time in the same way you would if you're outside the ship. You know, mm -hmm. but but in in their mind, this idea of 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 basically doing it forever. Um, I mean that would be maddening. It'd be absolutely maddening to be going through that and and you know, serving underneath a captain who is ruthless, cold, calculated, uh, and and is really doing it to serve his own purpose. He's not doing it because he's trying to bring all of his crew's family back, and he's doing it for his own selfish ambitions, that kind of Captain Ahab type of thing. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's unwilling to budge. He doesn't care how long it takes. He doesn't care what it costs, the number of lives, the number of civilizations that are affected. He doesn't care. He just... He's he's got his eyes fixated on one thing and one thing only, and nothing else matters. And this, yeah. you know, Obra sees that I think, and is like, oh my gosh, yeah. Um, so then we jump ahead, Chris, and now we're on to day thirty-two. Yeah, in the timeline. Yeah, day thirty-two, and you know, Voyager's getting just pummeled. Right? You, I mean, you just see all the damage to the Voyager ship along its saucer section. Uh, along its star drive and the bridge just looks <laughs> the bridge looks terrible yeah um and and the crew the crew's just like looking like when is this ever 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 gonna end um so you know they're just in this perpetual state of like mm, fear almost because they're just getting yeah. attacked like all all the time that was interesting and that was cool is not the right word but but you know that that was interesting to see how Janeway and the the crew like are are, are reacting to this because they're just getting um, more and more of their crew are dying more and they're just trying to band aid the ship together as much as they can um, and the ship is just getting violently like torn apart during this whole time and they can't stop the Chronotron torpedoes from the chronotron weapons from damaging voyager yeah that that's that huge section chris in the in the saucer section yeah it's ripped out of voyager was just this massive gaping hole and you're like oh my mm -hmm. gosh like how many people would have died just from that type of damage alone had to have been a, a fair amount I mean, it's a big chunk of the ship that comes off there right yeah and i i was thinking that i don't know if you had this thought but i was thinking of this 
both in part one and part two. Imagine if this had happened before the doctor gets his mobile emitter and he's just stuck in sick bay and he can't go oh, anywhere and yeah. he can't move around the ship and can't help out and do things. Imagine how much more difficult it'd be without his ability to maneuver through the ship and be there and help out where needed. They, they wouldn't have made it. They would have all been gone. Yeah. And so yeah, yep. they would not have made it. You know, the, the key um, part for me um, during this time is, you know, since they're getting pummeled, they don't have a solution at the moment. Um, is when Chakotay has the conversation with with Janeway, and and it's a it's very much a Chakotay solution, I think. Um, and so you you get in there, and they've got their both opposing points of view. And Chakotay is saying, you know, maybe we don't have to do this. You know, we're 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 not going to make it. Maybe we should all like split up and separate and go separate ways and then you know we'll stand a chance and we'll be able to just meet on the other side of current space and so he offers that as a potential solution uh for janeway and janeway doesn't you know she doesn't like that at all she's like no we're a family we have to all stay together to pool our talents and pool our resources so as as i was thinking about like that that scene i thought um, it's very natural for Chakotay to do that and good because he's a former Maquis. So he's always thinking of different kind of strategies, how to get out of a situation. So I did feel like that was a very uh, Maquis way of thinking about escaping, mm. you know, splitting up, going the separate ways. Let's try and rendezvous at, at the other side to make it more difficult for the en enemy to hunt us. Uh, and then, and Janeway's response, I felt, was very much in character with Janeway because you know she's a she's a scientist, she's objective as well, but she's like, no, we have to stay together um, because we need to be able to pull our talents, and that gives us um, uh, a better probability of making it out alive. But she's got some sentimentality to it too. She when she says family, you know, she's like, we're a family, we've got to stick together. And we've got to all stay like on Voyager. You know, she's carrying some of that uh, responsibility with her of them getting stranded in the Delta Quadrant. You know, she's that's got to be in her mind at the same time. And that's why she's like, we have to stay together. We're not going to split up. And she's very um, adamant about that. Yeah. You know, so that was key for me in that kind of uh, that sequence and that scene. Yeah, no, I think I think yeah. you hit the nail on the head there, Chris. This idea where Chakotay, the Maki thinking, I think was great. I didn't, mm -hmm. I actually really didn't consider that as far as what how he might be thinking, the way he might be approaching it from that Maki perspective. Um, but I think he's being a good first officer, right? He's presenting mm -hmm. options to the captain. I did like it when she disagreed with that, and he's like, "Okay, that's good," because I I didn't really believe that <laughs> idea, anyways. You know, he's like, but it's almost like he he's doing the first officer thing, right? He's presenting yeah. her with options. He may not like the options, but he's still giving her the choice. She says, yeah, no, we're going to stay together. And he's like, okay, yeah, that uh, I'm pretty much I'm glad you did that, right? Um, interesting, too, though, she finds her lucky teacup mm -hmm. and then puts it on the table, and they get called back out to the bridge, and it falls off and shatters. And it's like, wow, if that isn't a foreshadowing of more things to come, right, that that uh, the, the damage and the things that they're doing, um, you know, and, and the, all the things they're going through, to me, uh, I don't know what is. Um, yeah. Right. But but then we jumped to day 47. So now we've jumped, what, another like 15 days, a yeah. couple of weeks again in the future. 
Um, and we find uh, Ensign Kim, Lieutenant Torres stuck in a turbo lift. They're not able to get out. So, so it's yeah. just showing the the continual, this continual idea that the ship Voyager is getting continually decimated. Things are breaking down. Things aren't working. Uh, I did find it kind of fascinating. We know we know Lieutenant Torres is injured in this scene, right? She's got a, a fairly significant injury. She can't really move a whole lot. So so Kim's trying to do his best to take her mind off of the injury. Uh-huh. They're playing these guessing games, asking about you know, 20th century entertainment and interstellar history. And I find it funny that uh, Torres doesn't know the name of Cochrane's ship, the Phoenix. <laughs> Although we know that Seven of Nine knows the answer because she answers it after they that she rescues them. Um, but they, they, I guess they were stuck in the turbulent for about six hours or so, according to, to uh, Ensign Kim. Yeah. Um, but we just see the continual... Um, uh, destruction of Voyager as this episode's going on, obviously. Um, and we also get Janeway, Chakotay, and Paris on board the bridge discussing some kind of plan by Paris to use these, I guess, transverse bulkheads in order to help try to seal off sections of the ship mm-hmm. in the event of a breach, which he gets the idea from the Titanic, of all things, even though mm-hmm. the Titanic thing didn't work, it sank. Which is funny because even because Janeway's like, but yeah, didn't that ship sink? And you're like, well, why would why why would that be so difficult to remember? But it's like, yeah, well, they're like 300 years in the future, so Titanic is really far in the past for us. Titanic is you know a, a little over 100 years ago. This is like 400 years ago for them. So interesting. There they they point that out. Yeah, yeah, it is. And um, the Titanic being in the past. And they're using the idea from the Titanic, right, to help them in the situation in the present. Um, and then there's a quote. I'll bring this up, this quote right now because I thought yeah. it was beautiful Please from do. Captain Anorex. But it was for time when he was describing time. It was this. It was the past, present, and future. They exist as one, and they breathe together. So having those that concept together, right. The concept that was used in the Titanic, Paris happens to know about it. He brings that to the present with Voyager, um, and they're using that bulkhead um, concept that was that was an effect for the Titanic. Um, so the the tur- the turbo lift scene. I just want to I want to go back to that. Yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. I I think you'll like this uh, because it is it is seven right that that saves Kim and Harry. Or excuse me, it says Belana and Kim. And when Seven says, hey, the name of the ship is the Phoenix, Harry Kim, he asks Seven, how do you know that? And Seven says, well, you know, the Borg uh, were there. Borg was there. And he says, well, what? And she says, it's it's complicated. <laughs> um, but But the Borg... In first contact, and I know it's your your favorite, the Borg went back in time to eliminate the human race from existence, which is the same thing conceptually that Anorex was 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 trying to do. So, mm. right. So I I love these these similar ideas and concepts that are spread in this this episode that's why i like it more because i'm just uh, yeah. you know I'm, I'm i'm picking up like on these things it's like right there you know, 
at, at this point, um, Seven like has no idea who Anorax is, right? But but right there, you can you can identify the Borg and Anorax with similar motivations. Um, so you know, which is which is just a, a wonderful like concept to interweave through this episode. And so I, I just love that they brought the Phoenix there. And I don't know if they were thinking about that, but but when that was in, that was immediately came to my mind. I was like, this is this is wonderful. I, I didn't even piece those two together. I mean, I pieced the first contact element, yeah. but not the fact that there is these this this you know similarity between Anorax and the Borg and this idea of eradication. Obviously, the motives I think were slightly different, but at the end of the day, the idea of going back in time versus changing time in order to to affect you know future events is certainly a a, a, a crossover from what the Borg were doing, what Anorax is doing. So that's really, I like yeah. that. Um, I also thought too, and I don't know, I'm going to make another another yeah. Star Trek comparison here, right? Yeah. So Star Trek Generations again. Mm -hmm. Remember in Generations when Dr. Sarn was like, time is like a predator. It's stalking us. Yes. And and it's 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 after us. And then Picard at the end of the movie goes, I feel like time's a companion. It goes with, along with a journey. And, it, and in this episode or two-part episode, Anorax compares time uh, in a or describes time in a way that makes it a like its own life form, right? It's its own being, and in for, and in generations, we also get that where Sauron looks at time, this idea that it's stalking you and it's coming after you and it's ready to pounce and eat you alive and so forth. And so the nexus, the nexus breaks that bond and gets removes you from that predator and mm. gives you this ability to go anywhere and do anything and see anybody and whatever. And, and Anorax is describing throughout the two parts, this idea that time breathes that time, you know, all these descriptive words. And I don't know if you, if you thought of that with generations, like you did with the comparison with the Borg and Anorax, but that brought up as you were talking about that just now made me think, you know, time is, is, is almost its own character. In this episode and in generations, they use time in a way that it's its own character for the story. That's beautiful. I mean, some of what Anorex says, Anorex says, time has moods. It has yeah, that's it. Yeah. 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 It can be angry. Time has anger, it has vengeance, it has retribution. And he says, time itself has punished me. And you time is a time is a character in itself. Anorax exists outside of time, right? And um, but time as itself as a dimension, just like our 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 three dimensional universe, our our three dimensions uh, in space is a character itself, right? Because we we encounter those we encounter those challenges, whether it's um whether it's a cliff, whether it's a drop, whether it's a mountain, um, those become characters in themselves like as we interact with the universe and the world when you exist outside of time and then you can go and manip manipulate time um as anorex does time starts to become a character for him mm -hmm. with its own yeah. set of challenges right that that he gets so just like uh, a mountain um or a volcano can we can see it like as angry or has moods in our three-dimensional universe and our three-dimensional space then he say, sees time in its fourth dimension as something else that has like ha has moods. It's just really cool 
yeah um, and beautiful idea yeah that you were thinking the same thing then because yeah. that, that as these episodes went through he's describing time like he would describe another character yeah so so time takes on this character form in this episode and it kind of does in star trek generations too a little bit right mm-hmm. the way dr Sarin describes it because he's trying he's trying to defang the beast defang the predator so to speak right so that he can yeah. you know live outside of time uh and space in the nexus kind of the way they're doing on board the ship here yeah. in this anorax and his crew on board this web th- th- this uh Krenum weapon um, that they're outside of time and space so that they can then manipulate and do things as they need to in order to, um, you know, inject their will or inject Anorax's will upon the universe or at least in their, maybe not the whole universe, but at least in their area of space, right? In their, that, that quadrant or that, that area of the quadrant. Um, so yeah, really, really good. I think that was good good discussion there because um, lot, a lot going on here, a lot to think about, a lot to talk about uh, and, and very interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As we go through the uh, this 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 day, what was it? Day uh, forty-seven. Um, we seven also discovers an undetonated uh, chroniton torpedo stuck in the hull of the ship, and that would have to be in and of itself frightening. Yeah, for sure. Um, and she thinks she she contacts Tuvok to say um, uh, let him know, and and. He's like, okay, I'll be down there. And she's like, get here fast. And yeah. so <laughs> she's, so Tuvok and Seven are there trying to take care of their torpedo. And um, he's trying to get her out of there. And she's scanning it. And she's saying, this might be the only opportunity I can get certain characteristics of the torpedo. Um, and so she spends like a few like microseconds more trying to do it. And, and she gets information and Tuvok's like, well, that was excellent, but you disobeyed my orders. And please don't ever like, don't ever do that again. Um, but unfortunately, it does detonate. I believe the torpedo does detonate, and Tuvok is—he's uh, injured there, so he's blinded by that yeah, explosion. Yeah. So that information that she got better have been worth it because it cost Tuvok his sight. Well, at least temper, you know. Yeah. For for the rest of the, the episode, and then and then part two, he he doesn't have his sight anymore, and so uh, doesn't Tuvok even mention to her something like, "Don't touch it. Don't just don't do anything yet. Like I'm on my way," kind of thing. He doesn't want her to. Yeah. Do something that could cause you know more damage because I guess you know I think it was Tuvok when he gets there he's the one that's like hey let's let's put up a level ten force field and we'll try to contain the blast because we know we don't have any way of disarming this or stopping we know it's going to happen let's try to contain it yeah rather than attempt to disarm it and then cause maybe even more damage yeah yeah it does it does um, that it, so the explosion that kind of um so that that moment. Um, is kind of a bonding moment right there for Tuvok and Seven, you know, that that we see afterwards, right? Because so I mean, we'll we'll see that I think later on in either this first episode or the next episode, but it does create it is this catalyst where you know Seven kind of feels like for lack of another better word, almost like his caretaker. And we'll see that a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. Now that which it no pun intended for oh, the pilot episode oh, of Voyager, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> but, right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, but yeah, part of this though, I, I guess the question is, is it worth it? Because so Tuvok suffers, you know, an injury; he loses yeah. his sight. But as part of that, she's able to get the variance that is needed, this temporal variance needed, in order to help them make the uh, temporal shielding. Yes, which helps protect the ship from future attacks. 
Yes. And then they also use that and share that with some of the other species that go to help attack the ship in part two. But, um, you know, the question then becomes the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, right? Tuvok's Vulcan, he's, he's been around the block a while, right? You know, mm -hmm. it, the question is, is his site worth it? Is his site worth the exchange of, of, of the site for the information that they needed in order to make those shields, which become critical throughout the rest of the, the two-part episode? Yeah. I think in this circumstance, we would all, I think we would agree, yes, it was worth it. You know, so, it, I mean, his, his sacrifice, what happened there, um, their ability to actually create temporal shields, I mean, saved them. Yeah. Saved them and saved other uh, life forms in, in that sector as well. So I, I think we'd agree that was worth it. And I think I, th I think Tuvok probably would too, right? He's a logical Vulcan, right? He would understand, I think, even though it's not maybe ideal. Um, but then we jump yeah. again, Chris. We jump again another almost three weeks. Now we're yeah. up to day 65 on the timeline. That's right. Yeah, and Voyager is in a terrible, <laughs> terrible state. We do see um, Tuvok. So he's blind now. We see that in um, day 65. And seven comes in, you know, he cuts himself shaving. And I I thought it was a nice kind of a special and um sensitive moment between himself and seven. I mean, they're 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 talking about the ship and um and the shields and uh, like every, everything they can um is 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 essentially daily routine and and how to make it through. And seven's talking about her her revelation, I think, is what she says, or inspiration is what she says. And so that piques Tuvok's interest for sure. And um, and then he helps her through that because she's talking about the the shield modulation, I think, at that point. So so that that was I think that was an important, important special scene but between them. And they're able yeah. to get it to work. Yeah. 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 And, and on top of that, day 65 is a rough one, right? Because the yeah. replicators go offline. They're severely damaged from the last attack. They're eating emergency rations, which if you watch enough Star Trek, you know emergency rations or field rations are not good. They mm -hmm. give you what you need, but they taste terrible. So <laughs> that would be, would be bad. But then there's also a very uh, uh, um, interesting moment on the bridge where Chakotay says, hey, it's your birthday. And he gives her a gift, right? And it's this mm -hmm. little silver pocket watch that yeah. he replicated for her many months before. And Janeway is very much, uh, you know, uh, you can't do this. We need that. We need the power. We need for replicator, or you know, for to do uh, use for other things and so. But we can't afford this kind of this kind of non-essential luxury items. You know, you need to re recycle it. You need to get rid of it. Uh, we 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 need it. We need that 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 power back. Um, and this comes into play later. This this pocket watch, but uh, um, that that was kind of a bit of a hard episode moment to watch because you can just kind of see the rejection on Jacote's face. He's trying to give some semblance of like a mental break for her for a couple of minutes from everything that's been going on by giving her this wonderful gift. And she just completely shoots it down. And you can just see the look on Chicote's face like, okay, so she's 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 pretty much gone at this point, right? Like she's not she's not really the same captain that she was before all these events started and rightfully so given what they're going through right and her all the what's on her shoulders as the captain mm -hmm. but uh that was a bit of a tough tough moment to watch between those two 
Yeah, it was like this total rejection for uh, Chakotay's um, sincerity at the moment. And, and yeah, she's, you're right. She, at this point, she's kind of really disconnected from the crew. And she's kind of gone, gone into her, her own space. Um, and then I don't, I don't think she can really meet, read the morality or, or mood of the crew. I mean, she knows it's bad, but she's not able to get out of it at this point. Yeah. And she's so fixated, right? She's so hyper, hyper focused and locked on all these little minuscule tasks that she doesn't step back as a captain. Right. Like you said, reading the crew. And what symbolism, you know, what great symbolism they used and that the gift was a watch or, you know, time, time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Really, yeah, yeah, like it even more this episode. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's really true. But we we continue to see all of the debris and the damage to uh, to Voyager over and over and over again. Mm. Um, And then we also see something I found very interesting, very moving. This idea that because of Tuvok's injuries and and now his. his disability with the, the uh, you know, an, an inability as well to not be able to see. He tells the computer when he arrives on the bridge to initiate tactile interface, allowing him to operate without being able to see. And I, I found this interesting because it's like, it's almost like maybe like the Federation's version of Braille, right? Like he's blind. Uh, yeah. So his ability to read the console without being able to see it would kind of be like Braille. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever seen prior to this episode and any episode since then them do anything like that in a star trek episode which i thought was a really really good touch really nice touch given that his you know the, the situation he's in and and being able to kind of represent that uh in this episode i thought was wonderful right they should bring that back that they should bring that idea back in other episodes um and the word that came to me for how tuvok was uh with his blindness I think you'll agree. He was extremely, he was extremely dignified. He carried himself, you know, uh, his interactions with um, Neelix, um, his interactions with, uh, with the captain with seven, he carried himself with uh, dignity, which is important to Tuvok, important to Vulcans. Uh, But I thought it was, it was great that he played it that way. Yeah. And I just I, I really like that touch that they did. They, they could have just had him show up, go over to the console and start doing stuff. No mm-hmm. one really would have thought otherwise. Like, OK, yeah, he's, he's he knows where the console at. he's that's he, his station. Right. So he know where all the buttons are. He didn't even have to see him anymore. But the yeah. fact that they brought in this idea of tactile interface that helps him be able to read the console without being able to see, um, I think was was a really, really nice touch. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, but besides uh having the shields ready to go and coming across the crenum again and now they're not defenseless anymore because of the shielding um they 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 maintain their course through crenum space but elsewhere the crenum are added again right this temporal weapon ship finds another planet mm-hmm. this time a race called the Graynor. yeah and they eliminate them from existence yeah. Once again, so some more calculations. Every trace of the civilization is gone, um, as if it they never were they never existed in the past or present, and it's 
It's crazy. And so the space-time shockwave uh, uh, leaves from the planet. And, and it's just every time they do it, Chris, it's like, wow. It's almost like it just it gets more and more cold and easier and easier for them to continue to do this without, you know, much thought behind it. Yeah, totally. Uh, you're, you're right. It just gets easier and easier. And it's just a cold calculating thing. It's another button. Uh, it's another calculation. It's It's another experiment in a way because he's just he's experimenting with the universe you know so that's his anoraks in this in these um episodes he's like a a deity figure where the universe is his playground and he can do whatever he wants with it like essentially yeah he's got the power right and he has Mm -hmm. a certain goal he's trying to achieve and then also this wave goes out and hits and, and, you know, Voyager um, is being pursued by this credit, another credit ship. It ceases firing, but unfortunately by, by this latest uh, temporal incursion that they do, it affects the Krenum again. And now the Krenum warship uh, is also affected by the shockwave. And now it's once again, a modest little ship doesn't have the the weapons and everything else. It's not a threat to Voyager anymore. Yeah. And this, of course, you know, befuddles Ensign <laughs> Kim and then Janeway and everything. And they go, well, where did that? Where where did the warship go? And they're like, oh, I don't. I have no idea. But they're they're we're not picking it up anymore. And it's it's almost like the change happened, and now the Krennic Imperium never existed. And 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 it's it's this this cause and effect or this this temporal kind of wave going through this episode. As we go, uh, you know, day by day, week by week, um, but what's interesting is by erasing this 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 recent planet, this recent species, now Obris is like, hey, boss, guess what? The Kren of Imperium is gone again. Yeah, and it's it, the, the, this this temporal incursion. It's gone. It's gone terribly wrong, and of course, Anorax, he can't believe it. They, you know. The, the calculations were perfect or perfect. Uh, and they have to look over the, the data. Here's where they figure it out, kind of. Where Obris goes, well, yeah, but there's this ship that was, you know, was didn't seem to be affected by the wave or whatever. And this is then where they go, well, this must be, this is an outlier because this wasn't accounted for in our calculations. That's when they set course to go see Voyager. And yeah. then we jump again to day 70. So now we've we've been jumping weeks at a time. Now we're dump, jumping just five days into the future. Yeah. Yeah. Voyager was an anomaly that they hadn't predicted again. So right. uh, now Voyager, kind, they, they kind of have an idea like of what's happening, right? And so um, uh, because these phases and these civilizations are coming in and out of existence, um, but I'm losing my totally losing my train of thought of where of where we are in the episode. But I know that Janeway and Seven, you know, they're investigating like in the astrometrics lab, um, and they're trying to figure out like what's happening and what their way out is. Yeah, where the shockwave came from. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I want I want to say this is the first. Is this the first shockwave that hit Voyager, or maybe this is the second one? Second, um, second one. But... Yeah, because the first one's in the very beginning of the episode, right? When the Krenim ship changes from a little ship that's not opposing to this big warship. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and they are, you know, I can't remember if 
if soon after this, this is where Janeway is explaining to the crew that, okay, we're going to, uh, everyone's going to abandon ship. This might be a little bit before that. It's a little bit right before now. that. Yeah. Because yeah. they're in the astrometrics, right. And, and, and she mentions to, uh, 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 seven mentions that, yeah, there's no, there's no sign of any life on this planet where the shockwave yeah. originated from. And Janeway's like, well, wait a second. We just passed, uh, Garnier about just like a few weeks ago. And she's like, yeah, well, there's no sign of anything and th that they existed anymore. And this is when Janeway and the, the what's left of the crew of Voyager and everything are beginning to piece together what's going on, right? This idea That's that, right. okay, now things are starting to make sense. And that something's going on. There's still something missing, mm -hmm. but we're starting to get the, a picture here of what's going on and, and what's exactly happening. And then we have Anor Anorex's ship like appears like soon after, right? To investigate yep. the Voyager and, and yep. take care of it. And then you have that, you've you've got that communication with Anorex communicating to Voyager and saying, Hey, I'm Captain Anorex, and I I I hold I don't hold any hostility to you, Captain Janeway, but you know, I'm on a mission too, and I've got I've got to do this. And that's where Janeway's like, oh, he's on a mission. And so she kind of puts those pieces together even more um and then he tries to erase voyager with his with his weapon with the temporal beam and that's uh, that's where um you know they realize so voyager's essentially getting torn apart right there getting obliterated and um they say well we can outrun the ship you know we still have warp warp speed we can do that and um janeway takes them to warp speed uh, to warp seven i believe in tuvok's Tuvok reminded her, hey, if we go to warp, you know, we're going to lose a whole bunch of the, the ship because it's still not structurally stable. But they do to go to warp, and you see all of these pieces of the ship kind of peel away like as, the, as they go to warp and as they escape Anorex's ship. Um, and that's, that's where you kind of realize, oh, the ship is so severely damaged, and that's where Janeway's kind of come to the conclusion on Okay, now it's time for everyone to to abandon ship, and she gives yeah. those orders. Yeah, uh, that 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 exchange between Anorex and Jamie was interesting, Chris. I don't yeah. know if the, how you took this, but when he says to her, "Hey, we uh, got to we have to erase your ship the timeline because it's affecting too many things or whatever," right? And he and he he tries to justify it to her, right? He says, "Well, yeah, but." By doing this, it will restore the lives of countless millions. Like, <laughs> oh, that's justification. We're going to kill you. We're going to erase you from history, but it'll mm -hmm. save the lives of millions. And as an audience, we know, yeah, BS, because you're going to do this, and then you're just going to keep going back to calculating and, and, and getting rid of more civilization things. You're not really going to be saving anybody. It's just a really lousy justification as to why your actions are justified. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. This 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 is this is where this is where this guy this Captain Anorax guy becomes really I mean not that he already wasn't already right but really you see kind of the sleaziness of this guy because he's like you know yeah well you know this is gonna save all these people if we do this and everything and I'm thinking to myself okay I get it but you are literally trying to justify every, every action you do. You have a justification for it. you're justifying genocide 
-hmm. you know i mean not not that not not that not that removing voyager from the timeline is genocide but just your actions as a whole right is genocide and you're trying to justify that and i i i'm just like man really i'm really not liking it but by going to warp like you said chris um the ship loses a lot of hole and uh it's really crazy so this is when we jump ahead a few more days and she mm-hmm. has this meeting with the what's left of the crew and says you know i try to keep everybody together but now you know i can't ask you to stay here the senior crew will stay here but the rest of you it's time to abandon ship get the escape pods head 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 towards home head towards earth and and we will see you again and we will rendezvous again and um give some kind of inspiring words the escape pods take off and then we cut to to be continued to part two, which we're also going to jump into to finish off this amazing two part episode of of Year of Hell. So yeah, absolutely. Man, there was there's a, there's a lot in part one, and 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 it just gets crazier and crazier as as we go through this episode, right? Because we go now from what day seventy three, day seventy something. Now yeah. now we jump to hundred and thirty three, and oh by the way. Chakotay and Tom Paris were also taken by the Krenum ship, right? By Captain yeah. Anorak. He takes a couple of Janeway's crews because he needs to study them, right? To see, make sure that all that information goes into his calculations. That's right. That's right. Um, so they're essentially hostages right now, but they're treated yeah. treated very well because um, Anorak is... Uh, At least after a while, right? Because I think yeah. they're kept in solitary for a while trying to get information out of him. And then he eventually he's like, all right, well, we'll start taking care of you, I guess, as long as you talk to us about stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Anorex is very, um, there's a lot of dimensions to him because he, uh, he treats, right. He treats Chakotay and Paris kind of like individuals. Um, but everything else, when he's affecting the timeline, when he's, when he's doing the calculations, how he talked to Janeway, everything else was just like an object was, mm. was not like, it was just something that he could manipulate. Um, that was just like uh, a rock, a rock, not an individual, but just like a rock he could mani- manipulate. So that's, I found that kind of uh, interesting with Anorex. Yeah. yeah. So now we're at, now we're at the beginning of, of, of part two and we're at day one thirty three. So we've jumped now a couple of months right into the future and you know voyager is now in this mm-hmm. what they call a class 9 nebula um there is some sort of issue with the ventilation system so some of the nebula is seeping into the ship it's not good to breathe in we we learned that very quickly and and Janeway and kim are, have masks on that kind of remind me of the masks that they wear on board the quote unquote asteroid yes. and empire strikes back yes they're, this they're, they're shooting the, the minox outside the ship yeah that's right yeah, it reminded me a little bit of that. Um, <laughs> and so they're able to get it fixed in order to prevent more of the the ship from being flooded by the nebula. Uh, but this th- things come to head here between the doctor and, and Janeway, right, on the bridge where she's like, hey, just give me this medicine. It'll help me breathe better. And he's like, it's only for emergency extreme measures and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, ah, I don't care. Give it to me anyway. I have, I have too much to do and stuff. And so the doctor ends up giving her the treatment against his, yeah. his wishes. Uh, and then Janeway uh, stays on the bridge, and Torres is is at the con, and Warp Drive I think is still offline. 
because one of the nacelles is not fully functioning. Uh, there's a lot going on. A lot of things happen. And then uh, the doctor even tells Janeway, he's like, look, you need to, you need to rest. You need 48 hours to, you know, take a breath and, and rest and everything. And she's like, nope, not going to happen. Then he tries to tell her that she is going to be removed of command. This was an interesting part, right? He says, hey, I'm going to remove you from command. You know, you're being removed from command or whatever. And she's pretty much like, yeah, right, whatever. I don't care what you said. Go, go ahead. And he's like, you know, this this is going to be noted in my official log, and you could fake, face court-martial when, when we get back we get back home and and she's like yeah well i'll face the music then when the time comes but it can't be it, you know it's not gonna be worse than this or something like that right yeah yeah i think that there were a couple um instances where the where the doctor and jane we had those conversations so the one there's the one with the gas and then was one later in the episode where um she has she gets those burns she has to go into uh do some modifications for the deflector shields and along the way you know she gets she gets burned she comes out doctor treats her and essentially says hey you're not fit for command and she's as much as the captain was uh, because previous to this episode you know she was very much about following duty and starfleet protocols so the doctor actually relieves her of command like late, later on in this episode. And, and she's like, well, how are you going to enforce it? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, essentially how are you going to enforce it? You have to it? grab a phaser and shoot me or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tuvok's not here, you know, whatever, you know, do what you want. Yeah. Tuvok she, doesn't have a security team and all this. And yeah. She's been overcome with stress for sure. Oh, uh, could you imagine after 130 some days of this stuff and, and someone's trying to tell some, the doctor trying to tell you he's going to relieve you of command or whatever. And she's like, yeah, okay, go ahead and try. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. Um, Very interesting. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah. So we also then, Chris, we meet Chakotay and Paris on board the Krenim ship. Mm -hmm. And we learn that they have been in isolation for a while. And I, I did find this comment funny. I don't know if you, you, you know, this really caught your attention as much as it did mine with, with Paris being my favorite character from the show um, where Anorak says about Paris, he says, no doubt you're talking about Tom Perry says, no doubt he is making himself difficult. Yes. <laughs> which, which basically means he's experiencing some of the stuff that, that the, the rest of the Voyager crew has experienced with Paris, right? <laughs> like he's, you know, he's a little bit difficult, right? He's not your typical, I mean, he wasn't a penal colony at one point, right? At the very yeah. beginning when, when Janeway got him out, he's not your typical traditional Starfleet officer. Um, but, I don't know if that that really kind of made you raise an eyebrow or not, but yeah, it was. It's on par for Paris. Yeah, Just how he is as a guy, as a dude, right? They, so yeah. yeah, he's 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 not somebody who just blindly follows, right? He's somebody who's going to question. He's somebody who's going to ask those questions, and um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I see I see a little bit of myself in him uh, at <laughs> at times. Not not yeah. everything about him, but at times, you know, so it's kind of this this idea that his personality clashes with Starfleet, um. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, yeah, but but this scene though, when 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 these two are brought together into this room, there's all this spread of amazing looking food and everything else laid out, and this wine, uh, uh, apparently some rare vintage of what they what the anoraks called Malkothian spirits. 
this was really eerie when he says this bottle is the sole remaining component of the once powerful Makoth race or Malkoth race. Yeah. Everything else, their cities, cultures, even the very species itself never existed. And that was like, wow. And then he goes on to say, in fact, every dish on the table comes from civilizations erased from time. Uh, that, and he's like, how are you enjoying that food? You're devouring the last remnants of the Alsurian Empire. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, but he said yeah. he he says it with such just like, oh, yeah, oh yeah. This, this whole ship is kind of like a museum of lost of relics and you know, or a memoriam of relics or whatever, whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. lost histories or something like that. Um, that was really eerie because he doesn't say it with with any level of of empathy. It's just, yeah. That's what the ship is. It's just mm -hmm. cold, cold, hard facts rather than anything else. I don't know mm -hmm. if that got to you at all. It kind of got to me a little bit. I'm like, man, this guy just, it's almost like these are trophies. He's celebrating a thing, a, a, entire civilizations he's eradicated from the timeline mm -hmm. because of his decisions. Yeah. And this goes to his megalomania, right? Everything is a, mm -hmm. everything is essentially as trivial for him as a toy for him those civilizations weren't they didn't have any any other meaning other than to be an object that he could manipulate so yeah, yeah. just goes right to his megalomania you're right that was a great great touch that they put in the episode there yeah for sure and and back on voyager we get this scene in the mess hall they're still in the nebula right and then mm -hmm. The, the 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 senior staff is still there right they start drinking this stuff that you think maybe oh maybe it's just like a really bad tasting coffee but no it's i guess what neelix calls elixir of endurance it's this concoction <laughs> he takes ration cubes boils them down with like water and adds you know because it makes it so much better adds talaxian spices and they're drinking it and i like how seven of nine is says something to the effect of like yeah this is this is repulsive or insulting or whatever and, and yeah. uh He's like, you know, yeah, it's not the best tasting, but it gives you what you need and everything. And good old Neelix trying to find the silver lining and trying to do something, just something that he can do to help <laughs> boost the morale of the crew, even though he's got a uniform on now and he's doing he's all running all over the ship and helping to do things. Uh, I, I thought it was a nice touch by Neelix trying to just give them something, you know, he's trying. That's Neelix's job. Well, yeah. One of many, right? One yeah. of many. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was, it was comical. Um, and this is where, you know, Janeway's trying to get a sense of where they are in the ship's repairs. Uh, you know, she's saying, Hey, how's, how's our engines? How's our shields? Um, and it's not like in a good situation. Like they need at least a few more weeks in that nebula to be able to do the repairs. But he, yeah, here's, you, you, this is another scene where you see Janeway's just like disconnected from the rest of the crew. Cause she's like, we got to get out of the nebula. Um, you know, we need to get out of here. We're just sitting here. We got to get out to open space. You see the licks around um, each other. Just they're thinking, no, you know, we need to stay in here and like repair ourselves. But she gives the order and says, we're leaving at 0800 tomorrow morning. Um, and everyone's questioning that decision and they're thinking that's wrong. So she's totally disconnected at this point. Yeah, especially because Torres is like, yeah, it's going to take me like three weeks to get the, the nacelle repaired so they mm -hmm. can have warp drive, right? So that's – and Janeway's like, nope, 0800 tomorrow, we're out. 
you yeah. know, and, and you're right on that, 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 that disconnection from the crew is she's, she's so focused on getting back on track and getting the ship up and running and, and not really listening to what her crew's telling her. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause seven in that meeting, seven says, uh, you're wrong, captain, you're in error. And she's, Oh like, well, yeah. Yeah. She's like, well, that's your opinion. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's where Tuvok then kind of gives her some mentoring and says, "Hey, it's okay to disagree with the captain. That's fine, but you don't do it in front of the rest of the crew, and you live by the motto: the captain's always right." Uh, which I, I don't agree with. I mean, the captain's not always going to be right. That's a little bit of a a logical fallacy there, mm-hmm. Tuvok of all of all people to say that. But but he also <laughs> says that he trusts Janeway absolutely, or something to that that effect. Like. Tuvok and Janeway have a very, very close relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, he trusts her explicitly. She trusts him explicitly. They have a history together. Uh, I mean, he was her he was her mole inside the Maquis, right? Um, you know, back at the beginning of the show. So th- there, there's some some semi-bias there, I think, a little bit from Tuvok, obviously, because of their relationship. Yeah. But but then Chris, we jump another like month ahead. Now we're at, like day 161 and we're back on board the Krenum uh temporal ship yeah and we get you know chakotay is developing a relationship with anorax and i think this is where um chakotay is like having his uh kind of chance at experimenting with with this time manipulation that anorax has been doing and so you know he's got an idea like hey what about this comment that uh maybe we can change change things around with this comment that we met and that kind of forced Voyager into um, going into Krennan space. And, you know, and actually, you know, Krennan and Chakotay both have essentially the same goal. You know, Krennan doesn't really want to like. You mean Anorax? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes. Oh, Anorax. Anorax. Yeah, okay. yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Anorax doesn't really want to destroy Voyager. He's like, yeah, you know, I don't have any hostility to Voyager. If you can save Voyager Chakotay by doing this, that's cool. He says, yeah, run the simulation on the comet. And so Chakotay does. And then um, the simulation shows that, hey, if you erase that comet from existence, you've like also erased a whole bunch of species, like essentially, like a whole yeah. um, incredible amount of species. And, you know, Chakotay doesn't understand, but then Anorax shows Chakotay, no, you see this, this comet off-gas, this material, and then this helped build some uh, plant life that forms some other life um, and forms some hydrocarbons. And this, this I liked because it, it showed the, uh, and you could see the realization on Chakotay's face. It showed the interconnection of everything that can happen. Yeah. Right? So everything is connected. So that, that I liked that Chakotay was kind of able to see that. Yeah. But, the, but then we, we start to see that, um, Chakotay begins to almost he begins to see Anorax in a different light, mm-hmm. right? And we see that throughout the rest of the episode told towards the end, where he begins to almost empathize a little bit with Anorax. He thinks that, you know, okay, yeah, now that I'm getting to know this guy, you know, maybe his mission is 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 justified or it's valid or whatever. Uh, I can understand what he's trying to do. I understand his mission, you know. Chakotay starts maybe kind of getting under his, uh, almost like a spell a little bit. Like the more time he spends around him, the more I think that uh, Anorax is having an effect on Chakotay. 
Paris is not a fan of that at all. Paris sees right through it. And Chakotay's like, no, 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 we got to keep the keep the course. We're gonna make these calculations perfect yeah. in order to save Voyager. And Chakotay starts to become like Anorax, right? This idea that uh they the so obsessive with the calculations and getting them just perfect and just right. And Paris is like, that this is not realistic. This guy's a psycho. This guy's a megalomaniac. This guy, you know, he's obsessed with this and everything. And um, so it's it's very interesting to see that. And then this is where, you know, uh, I believe this is where Anorax explains to Chakotay kind of what happened in that first iteration of the um, of the weapon and how it affected the Krenim Imperium as a dominant power. Yeah. Um, and so. Chakotay begins to see a little bit more behind what happened and everything. And then we jump again to day 180, where now Voyager's outside the nebula. They're running into micrometeorites, which is crippling the ship. Uh, their their deflector is not functional. Yeah. And it's just it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Um, the area they're trying to go through is too hazardous. Uh and unfortunately, Janeway opens up this door, I guess, or whatever, and realizes she's got to go in and fix this thing, but she knows she's going to get burned, so have the doctor on standby. And she does it, and she gets really burned. And so they rescue her, but unfortunately, with no dermal regenerator, they're only able to, you know, the doctor only able to do so much. She's got scars on her face and on her body now and burn marks. And this is where, this is, because this is the scene then where, He tries to say she's relieved of duty and she says, yeah, go ahead and try. There's no security staff to to do it. So this is where everything comes back in. But I did I did find interesting how she says a court martial will be a small price to pay given what they've been through. Yeah. That she's like, I'll face the music if I have to when the time comes. But for now, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Exactly. It, it, you know, her line when, when the doctor says you're going to have scars, she rises up and she goes, well, I guess I'll just consider these like mementos. Mm. <laughs> You know, I was like, oh, yeah, she's definitely out there. Yeah, I mean, we'll look yeah. at all of what they've gone through. Right? I mean, that's the reason why this episode's named Year of Hell, right? I mean, this is <laughs> this is they're getting beat down for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And then we jump again, Chris, another more time, and now we're at day two hundred seven. So now we've jumped again almost another month. Yeah, and we are we're seeing more more issues on board Voyager. Uh, but this was a touching scene where where Janeway and Neelix are going through the corridors. They come across Chakotay's quarters. Mm -hmm. And in the quarters, she finds the watch that she told him to get rid of. And she sees it, and she mummers, you know, under her breath kind of says to herself, you disobeyed orders. And Neelix is like, Captain? (laughs) And she says, you know, Chakotay gave this to me five months ago. It's a birthday gift. I ordered him to. And then she kind of trails off, and, you know, you can see the emotion on her face, right? Uh, I I think... That moment she thinks back to of what she said to him, it's kind of catching up to her now, or she's kind of maybe realizing that her mistake, maybe, and the way she reacted to that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then through all of that, she takes it and puts it on her on her belt, on her uh, on her pants, and asks Neelix what he thinks, and he's like, "Oh, very handsome, or whatever." Which I don't think is the right descriptor for a woman, but that's just me. And then we jump back to the weapon ship. Yeah. I liked that scene as well. Yeah, that I, I do. Um, that was a good scene between 
Neelix and Janeway. And, uh, you know, on, on the weapon ship, we've got Paris playing a game with Obrist. And so it is during this scene that now we're getting a little bit, a little bit more into Obrist's character. Um, and you get the connection between Paris and Obrist and Paris kind of convincing like Obrist, like, yeah, we've got to do something to, to get out of the situation. So that was like pretty important that they do, um, that they get, get to that. Um, then, you know, we were continuing on and we've got, I think the next act, we've got Chakotay having more kind of conversations with Anorex and, you know, pointing out to Anorex that, hey, you know, every time you are um, altering history, it's genocide, like essentially, right? Chakotay's pointing that out to, to Anorex. Um, and Anorex, you know, he's like saying, yeah, it wasn't, it just got easier and easier, like as, as it got, as it went along. Um, so that was interesting from, so I guess to see from, from Annex, Anorex's, Anorex's character. <laughs> now I'm not being able to talk anymore. Um, no, it's but, all good. Uh, but, but this is also, we also get a scene here too between Chakotay and Paris, right? And this is where they really butt heads. Mm -hmm. And I even think this is the moment, right, where Chakotay orders Paris not to do anything, don't make any moves against Anorex. And Par Paris is like, you know, he wants to do it anyways. And and this is where Chakotay says, okay, well, if we're not going to, if we're not going to follow a chain of command, then we're going to have to settle this the old fashioned way. Yeah. Which is really, really tense. Yeah. Between the two of them, right? This, this is where that the the um the stress of everything, they they they've been on the ship for for quite a while now, like five, six months. And they've been away from everybody. They know all the damage has happened, everything that's gone on, and things are kind of coming to head here. And Chakotay, Chakotay even mentioned says, you know, you know, he 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 didn't really believe exactly what Paris was getting at. Paris tells him that Anorax is flattering him a lot mm -hmm. and that uh that this this talk that Chakotay mentions where where Anorax has an instinct for time it's it's like i said before right Anorax is kind of winning Chakotay over to him to his way of thinking a little bit he's kind of poisoning Chakotay's thought processes now and helping him realize hey you know no all these things i'm doing are justified and here's why and you know Paris sees right through because Paris isn't spending the time with Anorax the way Chakotay is. Yeah, and everything not, comes yeah. to everything's coming to head at this point, right? Chakotay then goes to the bridge with Paris, and this is where he's shocked to see that uh, they're doing another incursion. This time, it's against uh, the Ramazad, and then he, you know, they talk about genocide and everything else. Uh, the calculations indicate that. Once they do this, there's a 52% restoration. Chakotay begs him to stop, says, hey, there's got to be other ways to do this. Paris then asks Chakotay if that's what he considers. Because I think he even, he even, uh, Chakotay, I think, even mentions him to be somewhat enlightened too, right? That he thinks mm -hmm. Anorax is kind yeah. of enlightened. And you're like, as an audience member, you're like, Chakotay, what the hell are you talking <laughs> about? Like, this dude's a genocidal maniac. Like, what are you talking about? And Paris sees through it. But Chakotay doesn't. And so we begin to see this come to head throughout this scene. And, you know, and when, I, yeah, I wonder yeah. why Chakotay's not seeing through that. 
Yeah, I, yeah I, well, I think because he's spending so much time with. I mean, you're talking about this guy's around anoraks every day for months and months yeah. and months, right? And 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 some way, shape, or form, this idea of making these calculations to save Voyager, he's relying on anoraks and his crew for help. Anoraks is poisoning his mind with with the talk, and the more he sees anoraks, the more it's it's almost like this idea of, like I'll, I'll kind of go back to the Last Samurai. Right when Tom Cruise's character is taken, uh, uh, he's captured by the the samurai, mm-hmm. and he go and and he was he was hired by the Japanese emperor to kill the samurai, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he gets captured by them. He learns their ways, and then he goes and fights for the samurai with them against the emperor's army mm-hmm. and dies for them. And so that whole turn, as as he learns more about them, he begins to sympathize with them. Chakotay's beginning now to sympathize with Anorax. Yeah. So that's that's where I think things are happening. Paris is like, nah, man, like you, you gotta stop this. This is this is garbage. You can't, you can't do this any. This, this there's no, you can't do this, right? Yeah. Um, so that's where too, I think, where we get that. Um and and it and it tr- it carries over into Anorax's quarters. Where Chakotay's like, well, you didn't need to fire on them. What the heck? You know, you, and then this is where I think you talk about, right? He's rationalizing genocide. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this, 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 this talk of where he says, you know, the, the first time it was easy, a blink of an eye, he changed history. And then on the next incursion, he changed history a second time. But he says he lost more than you can imagine. So now that I'm, now that I'm seeing this quote in front of me, it's the second time where he loses his family. Uh, he says on his next occasion, when he changed history a second time, he lost more than you can imagine. And then from then on, he's been trying to restore that for the last 200 years. Yeah. And that's where Chakotay yeah. says the colony on Kayana prime. And that's where he talks about his beloved wife and family and Chakotay, you know, here's all that, but yeah, it's it's really crazy. Uh, uh, this, th- th- then later on, Paris and, and Chakotay have a talk again. That's when they're like, "Okay, we're gonna make a move. We're gonna make a move against this guy. We we we've got to. This guy's gonna just gonna keep going, keep going, keep going." Yeah. And that's where Obris then helps uh, uh, Paris get a message to Voyager on their location. And then we jump again to what day two twenty six, I think it is. Um, so we jump almost another month ahead of time, and then Voyager has gotten a group of other ships with them. This, this little coalition of ships, and now they found the weapon. Yeah, now they found the weapon. Now they can go and they can attack, and so that and that's what what they do. So Janeway is out. She's shared the temporal shields with those other ships, and so they're ready. And essentially, they split up. So um, Janeway kind of realizes, okay, she's going to have some of the crew. I guess all of the crew go on the other ships as she kind of leads and coordinates that coalition and and moves forward um, and goes to attack them. And that's what they do. They all kind of go to attack the warship um, because she's received, I guess, a message from Paris saying, Hey, I'll be able to disable the, the warship so that, so that uh, Janeway and her team can attack. So that's what they do. And that's what they go on their way. And they are, like during that split up that split up time um those were some nice scenes there especially the one with Tuvok and Janeway right and, yeah and Tuvok gives the live long and prosper um 
to January. So that the Vulcan that salute. Yeah, yep, the Vulcan salute. That was because she's she's insistent upon staying on board the ship by herself to pilot uh, Voyager, and they go to the other ships to help out. And uh, I think she even says something to the effect of like, you know, oh yeah, you know what they say, the captain goes down with the ship or whatever, basically signifying that she knows most likely she's not going to survive this, <laughs> right? And so she wants to make sure the rest of the crew gets off. And then this idea of her sitting on the chair on the, on the in the bridge alone with no one else on board, and she's piloting this this bucket of bolts that is Voyager now, right? Yeah. Uh, and it very interesting. And so then we 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 jump ahead again uh, a little bit more, almost thirty days again, or not thirty? No, sorry. This that that you they jump ahead. Yeah. Again, they've reached the ship. They begin attacking the ship, but but Paris has to. Uh, work with Oberus to bring down the temporal core or whatever in order for them to become uh, susceptible to an attack. Yeah. And that's when Voyager uh, rams the ship. It blows up It and disables the ship, obviously. And then there's a huge explosion. And then all of a sudden the timeline is restored and we go back to day one. Yeah. Where then undamaged, everything's everything's changed, you know, and you get a you get a Krenum warship that approaches <laughs> and it says, Hey, you know, this is our space, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, Wait, we're just trying to get home, but we'll 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 keep that in mind or whatever. We'll we'll, you know, and things are restored. Now, the ending on this got me, Chris, because here you have we go back and all of a sudden we see the Krenum captain and his wife. Ah, uh, yeah. Right, his wife's alive. He's there. He's sitting there at a table, making, doing something. And she says, "Oh, it's a nice day. Come spend the day with me." He's like, "Oh, have breakfast, whatever." And he's like, "Oh yeah, I will." Uh, a, a few more calculations, and then she's like, "Oh yeah, it's always a few more." Put the pad down. Spend the day with me. It's a beautiful day outside. And they smile and leave together. And the pad he leaves behind is the temporal incursions calculations. So wow. it's like the year. So so the year of hell doesn't really happen because the ship blows up and it goes away and it won't have it's not may it may or may not happen because now his wife's alive but then will it happen oh. I, I, and I'm, I i'm taking this directly mm -hmm. from memory alpha because i love the way they, did it. they put these three pictures on here on on year of hell part two so you go check this out on memoryalpha.com or memoryalpha.fandom.com and there are these three pictures where that says like the year of hell never happened then it says, and will not happen, or will it? That's right. Because that pad is those calculations, and you're like, oh. So I got this thought in my mind, Chris, right as the episode ends, where I'm like, is this one of those things where if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it? Mm -hmm. So will history repeat itself really is the question, because the, the episode ends and it's over. So you the, you the question is then begged, does he eventually go through and – do the same thing over again, right? Only Voyager's on its way home. But in this case, does he do the same thing again where he's doing these calculations in order to bring the Krenum Imperium back to power? And then he does it. It seems to start working. He does it again, and his family's gone, and now it's all history's repeating itself, right? Back mm -hmm. again with the ship mm -hmm. and all, you know. So I, I, I possible ending very interesting. What a way to loop it in. I didn't re I actually did not realize that. I'm at the end. I'm I'm glad you brought it up because that's pretty. Uh, that's a nice kind of uh, a full circle ending to see if that 
that will occur. I, I liked that, you know, when his wife came in and she said, you know, spend the day with me. Um, I like that idea that, okay, he stopped doing his calculations so he could use that. He could seize that time for something that was meaningful. So he seized that time um, and then spent the day with her. Um, hmm. I like that. Maybe, that maybe before he never did that. Maybe before he he didn't he. Yeah. I thought I thought I remember him saying some kind of line where he kind of he he wished he'd get that time back or he didn't take advantage of the time he had when he had it. And mm -hmm. This is maybe a way of him doing that. So we don't know. Will year of hell repeat itself? We don't know. But um, <laughs> very interesting ending. I thought this was a wonderful two part episode. There's a lot going on here. I think back to when we. I think we've mentioned this episode before. And I, I, I thought about this again as I was watching this, like I did the last time I watched it. Mm -hmm. If I was in his shoes where I lost my family, but then all of a sudden there's this technology, and I had the ability using the technology to do something about that, right? I think of like Time Cop. I, I really like – it's really weird, but I kind of tie – kind of tie Van Damme's Time Cop in this, right? You know, they he had there's the technologies there, but he's not allowed to do it. But then he goes on a mission back to a time when his wife is still alive after she's been killed and she was pregnant, right? And then he then changes things. He saves her, and then the, the future's future's changed, right? You know, you get rid of Senator McComb and it changes the whole timeline and everything else. Um in this one, he has a chance to bring his wife back with this technology. Of course, we know throughout the episode. Or episodes that that uh, the calculations are just making things worse and not better, but I wonder if something like that happened to me with my family. God forbid that ever were to happen. But and but if I had the ability to go back and and do things to maybe prevent it or bring them back, would I, at the expense of others? That's a ooh. That's a that's a uh, that's kind of a i feel like a really gray era gray area morally like you're yeah. you're in a sense robbing peter to pay paul right you you're these other lives you're affecting in order to bring lives back that mean more to you than those other ones do yeah something i thought about throughout this would i if i was in that Krenum captain's seat you know if i was anorax for a day would I go to any means necessary to bring my family back, knowing full well it's literally erasing civilizations from existence? I, I actually I can't even answer that. I would like to say no, because you're talking about millions upon millions and billions of lives for a couple. But then again, I'm not in those that situation. And how would I feel if I had the possibility of bringing my family back? It's it's I don't know. It's a question you can fully answer. I don't think you can fully answer it, but what an interesting one though is because it is if we had that ability, right? And then and then certainly we would all have the at the very least have the thought, like, hey, I have I I can now have this technology to kind of manipulate events so um I can prevent that tragedy to happen. Um so I think we would at least at the very least have that lot thought and then have a strong strong compulsion to act on it especially when it affects people that are um so dear like and important to us 
Um, but don't, don't do you feel like it's a it's it, I don't know if you feel different from me. Don't you feel though it's it's definitely like an, a gray era gray area morally, right? This idea where where you are are literally you have uh, the lives hang in the balance with what you're capable of, and if you're in the shoes of the uh, of the of anoraks, and you have the ability to manipulate and almost play God. On one hand, you have people who mean everything to you, and the other hand, you have people who mean nothing to you. You know what I mean? No, it's yeah, a, yeah. Mo this, morally, it's yeah. a massive gray area. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is a, just a such depth of an ethical question and a and a moral question, um, because when in Anorax's situation. Um, all of the people that he eliminates, right? He is saying um, there is no moral equivalence. His family is has has the the highest like moral value. Everyone else he's saying has no moral value at yeah. all. So he's there's no there's no moral equivalency in any of the beings um, that exist in. Um, in Anorax's eyes, other, you know, and his, his family has, um, his, his just family is the ultimate, ultimate thing. And you're right that it is such a, a moral, like, um, question, moral gray area. I'm going to bring Batman into this, like, into this context. Of, that, that's okay I, well, I was going to ask you, Chris, like, yeah. like, so, so does that mean that his, his family holds the moral high ground over others? Right, they're the Obi Wan. They have the high ground, <laughs> right? For him, um, yeah, 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 for him, yeah. yeah I, I, I mean, I, I would say for us in 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 our lives, right? Compared to anybody, you know, compared to other people on the planet, especially people we don't know, does our family hold the high ground over others? I would I would argue yes. Now, does that mean you're going to go out and you know create genocide uh, on their behalf? Probably not, but. Yeah, would would you hold your family higher than than some average Joe on the other side of the planet or anywhere else in in this world? Probably, I think most people would say yes. The family's more important to me than some stranger, right? Yeah, they and, absolutely and would. Yeah, the, these civilizations to Anoraks are they're nothing to him. They're strangers. They, they they don't matter, right? They don't they don't hold any moral weight, which I think you put well there compared to his family. Yeah, so I was the reason why I was looking around is um. I've got this cover of Batman death in the family because mm. I was going to bring um, Batman in <laughs> Batman into the discussion. So uh, this has nothing to do with time travel, but is completely like um, what you're thinking about with the, with this moral gray area. So in, in Batman death, death of the family, spoilers to anyone that may not know that, um, Robin dies in Batman Death in a Family. <laughs> so, so so Batman has to make this choice because he 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 can either choose to save Robin, uh Jason Todd at that moment. Um, but there's some there's another thing that's like there's either uh, a big bomb that's uh, that's traveling that's that's gonna kill a lot of people. Um and so Batman makes that choice. He goes, Well, okay, Robin's got I can't, I can't get to Robin. He's got to, he's got to go um, disarm this bomb or take care of this thing that's going to cause mass destruction. And so that's what he does. And, and then, and then Robin dies. And, um, but that's the moral choice that 
you know, Batman has to do at that moment. And it's so hard, you know, it's so just, it's, it's a tragedy and then it, it, and it breaks them. And then it, um, but that's what, what happens, what it's just this huge kind of moral gray area. And then bat, you know, Batman would probably go though. That was the only choice like he could do, you know, we would be to save to save like all of those people. Yeah. Anorax yeah. is completely different. It's Anorax is completely opposite, right? So com- on total opposite side of it. Yeah, that's true. Um, but also still similar, right? This idea mm-hmm. of sacrificing others to save somebody more important. It's it's a really, really hard area. There, there's I mean, people are gonna have their opinions. And if you're watching or listening to this, please. Feel free, share your thoughts with us. We love having these deep dives. It's why we do these things. We love these these discussions. And and using a show like Star Trek as a catalyst to these discussions is pretty easy in the sense that because Star Trek deals with some of these really uh, philosophical and moral dilemmas and societal issues and things like that, it's really easy to use. And I would say you probably agree with me, Chris. Use Star Trek as a as a as a as a bed of of stories and examples to have these types of discussions right um there there are other things we can use to have these discussions as well but star trek does such a great job of presenting these things in a way that allow us to have these discussions in such a way the discussions that we have usually the deep dive discussions are not easy right because we're dealing with topics and issues that can be hard to talk about and a lot of people are going to have their own opinions on them and that's okay everybody's allowed to have their own opinion right um but there's not always maybe a right answer necessarily hmm. right. right especially in something like this right where you're in a gray and a, a, a morally in a gray zone because you think about it, okay so your fam your family is gone right something happens and you have the chance to bring them back but at, at the expense of countless other lives it, it doesn't matter you could be 10 lives a thousand lives a million lives whatever any number of lives fill in a number my question would be would my family members want that would they want me to sacrifice and if i was in the in anorex's shoes countless millions and billions of lives to bring them back i would argue most people would probably wouldn't mm-hmm. want you to do that you know what i mean most most moral people moral family members wouldn't want you to do that at their expense and then i think about it too okay so the timeline's restored basically when the ship's destroyed right and so he's back his wife's there what would his wife think what would his wife think if she if she had known all the things he had done in order to try to bring her back what would that do to her you know so it's a really really hard topic to discuss because most people would say, Oh, I'm going to save my family. But you say, okay, but at what cost? Yeah. Is, is there a price that's too high? Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. And there's not a right answer, it right answer for this. Um, just perspective. I do like how Anorax's story ended in the episode because you could view Anorax's character you know although he is the antagonist and he's causing all of this um you know all all of this grief essentially he started along his science and this weapon for his people in order to save his people right? because his his people had this enemy 
he did it for his people and his civilization in his mind a noble cause and then when when that happened it caused a great personal tragedy like in his life so all the good that he had tried to do that he had strived to do then completely backfired and then kind of decimated his own um, personal life driving him over the edge um insane he yeah. held that love for his wife for over 200 years right so you could almost look at look at um his character as well he was still able to hold that um love for his wife and that endured and so that that motivated all of his focus all of his energies to try and get that back to save her so you could look at that as another like noble thing uh, um with all of these tragic consequences but the sense of no nobility and, and those efforts those efforts so i like that it ended that he was at his study that his wife came in um because he was all all of what started didn't start like he wasn't didn't start as an evil person i felt you know he was he started trying to help his people the best laid plans of mice and men as they say right yeah uh yeah his initial but then the question becomes is was his initial plan of saving or you know restoring the imperium was even that moral right because this idea that he would destroy a civilization or civilization or some kind of temporal incursion in order to restore his imperium bringing those people back would then cost the lives of others so the question is is what were his were his intentions in the beginning really noble or were they driven by uh ulterior motives i mean there's a lot to unpack and so mm -hmm. i think at the end of the day i had two feelings towards this anorax guy mm -hmm. one i felt a little bit of pity mm -hmm. to him right slash some empathy uh that be because this thing that was supposed to be so good, right, to restore the Imperium became an obsession, mm -hmm. right, because of the results of the second time doing it. Um, and it turned him like, I think was a great a great reference into Captain Ahab. Mm -hmm. It turned him into Ahab and his and his thirst for for uh, I don't want to say revenge, but his thirst to right the ship in this in this instance um, kind of un undoing his wrong uh maybe maybe it's maybe it's it's more about him trying to fix what he broke when he didn't mean to and less about moral morals maybe i'm not sure how to, how to put that the other thing i would say is is um i didn't like the guy i really <laughs> I, I, yeah. I i i just did because he had no no remorse whatsoever none and even when they basically achieve their goal they meaning the 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 um the team on the ship it was a failure and all he was out for was for himself he really at that point i guess 200 years later did not care what the results were until mm -hmm. he got his family back so i didn't like the guy but i also kind of pitied and had some empathy for him knowing that yeah, I mean, it, it, even Paris mentions, yeah, it's, it's awful. No one should have to experience the idea of losing their family, right? But the cost is so great mm -hmm. in this mm -hmm. case.
So I guess I had kind of those, you know, few mixed mixed emotions towards towards Anorax. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what about you though? I mean, overall, you yeah, you kind of mentioned in the beginning you you liked the guy, or, or what were your what were your thoughts and feelings towards him at the end of this episode? At the, I mean, I I agree yeah, with you. Yeah. I, I I'm glad that it ended the way it did. Like it kind of was a happy yeah. ending for him. He got his wife back. Voyager's restored. It's kind of a good ending. But yeah, I feel similar um, to him like soren in generations you know yeah yeah i i think they're similar characters um and i didn't mind him like uh, i like maybe too strong of a word but i did empathize with with anorax i thought he was a i thought he was a good character um complex character yeah too, I think. Yeah. yeah complex yeah totally complex you can go there's so much to unpack with him and this episode as as you say but um it's interesting when you think about him what he developed the technology he developed right you could also think of it from a sense of um he was a deity and so you 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 think about that like him just like as a a, a krenin or a human ind individual like that much like power to decide like what exists and what cannot exist this is not this is not something for us to um all i can say is a big moral of the story is is this is not something for us to have control over like like what can be in terms of like what 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 can exist and to manipulate all things in time and and to just as you wish you know and and try to have consequences as you wish it's just not something that we can do, that we can comprehend, that we can um, understand, that we have any place, like in 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 trying to manipulate. So I, I thought that for Anorax's journey, you know, he that drives him insane because he he tries to um, apply his logic and conceptual conceptualization to trying to make that all okay in his mind and. You know, it's not going to be all okay in his mind. Yeah, it's going to drive him and, insane. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good point because all those calculations and everything, right? No matter how much they calculate or how much they try to figure it out, they're never going to get it perfect. Mm -hmm. It, I, I think, the idea of two hundred years of making these calculations and trying to make the perfect calculation has driven him absolutely insane, and that's why he's able to make to do these things so cold hearted without any thought or care. Yeah, that's why. Like in, in a way, I, I, he's experiencing his own purgatory. Um, just like Janeway is experiencing her own, her own purgatory, right? So, yeah. um, you know, Janeway's purgatory is like, man, I brought in everyone to the Delta Quadrant. Now I'm in this conundrum and everyone's getting killed like yeah. <laughs> around me. So um, really, really interesting. I, I, I think when I reflect on Janeway's decisions, I think her decisions probably uh, like if, if she, if she would have taken Chakotay's advice and split everyone up, then I think that um, they wouldn't have made it through. So keeping everyone together was probably the right right thing to do at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I would agree with you. I th I think you're yeah. right on that. Um, I I think she she obviously knew what was best. She knew where they were at the Delta Quadrant, and things are are 
harder there and the idea of splitting up would have been really detrimental. So that was, that was important, but yeah, man, this, this was a, t this was a, this was a tough one. I, it's good though. We we've talked about doing this episode for a while. We mm -hmm. know many of you have reached out to us saying, Hey, can you do year of hell part one and two and, and do your deep dive? Cause, um, I think a lot of people really enjoy this episode as much as, as we do uh, just from the responses we've gotten. So we hope that you like this deep dive. Um, I, I enjoyed watching this again, Chris, and I really enjoyed this conversation. We had some really great deep thought and, and discussion uh, that is, is thoroughly enjoying and some definitely definite moral conundrums for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This was wonderful. I almost want to continue it like in a, cause I've been thinking about more stuff with this episode. Like what? So we, Q, mm -hmm. Q, right? So I, I thought, I thought about Q, Q can manipulate space and time, do whatever he wants. Cause Q is a God in the start in the Star Trek universe. Right. Yeah. But Q looks like, looks like everything as an amusement, right? He's amused by everything. And, you know, Krennan's completely opposite. He's he's not. He's like totally focused. He can't get anything to work. So it's driving him insane. Um, so that's kind of the opposite ends of the... Of, Krennan can manipulate time. Can't get it to work. Q can manipulate time, do whatever Q wants, and is just is amused by the whole thing. The, di so. the difference is Q has the powers. Anorax has technology. Mm, yeah. So technology is limited. Q's powers are not, right? So they're that that in and of itself drives a whole nother discussion, right? But yeah. but the idea of I like that. I didn't think about that either. There's kind of some similarities there of uh, the way Q approaches it with power, and the way that uh, Anorax and his temporal weapon ship do with technology, and this idea that okay, well we know technology is imperfect. But Q's powers aren't Q, Q can do whatever he wants, whereas the Krenum ship can't. But this this has been wonderful. And I love just like the the aspect that time is uh time has, has moods. moods. <laughs> I mean uh, does it? Maybe. Uh, do do we believe him? D does time have moods? Um I guess maybe you could argue it does. I would argue it doesn't. I think it's it's time is is time is what we make of it. Right? Um, there was a quote by Captain Picard that has been used in many a memes and many a posts on social media over the many years where where Captain Picard talks about, I think it was from the inner light, mm -hmm. where he talks about how uh, you know, now is the most important moment. Make now the most important because it'll never come again. I, I it's not the exact quote. I know I'm butchering it, but I, you probably have heard the quote before, mm -hmm. Chris, and I want to say it's from the inner light. Um, and, and so I think that as as human beings, you know, we're we're not outside of space and time. We don't have a ship to do that, right? We are on this thing called life, this this timeline. We don't get to manipulate time. Time is in control. We have no control over time, right? We can't control how fast time goes, and how and we can't slow it down. We may we may perceive time you know they always say like oh yeah time flies when you're having fun mm -hmm. right or oh man this week is just dragging well the time's not actually changing it's just our perception of that time but i think it's important as humans that we try and control our perception 
to maintain our focus in the here and now because the here and now is all we have. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the next hour, the next week, the next month, the next year or decade or whatever. All we have is right now. The past can't be touched. We can't do anything about it unless we come up with time travel like in Time Cop or Terminator or any of these other movies. So I, I think it's kind of a lesson here, right? Like at the very end when when Anorax says, you know, somebody effective, I can, I'll make the time or I, I can make the time or whatever with, with his wife. Uh, sometimes we have to just make the time. And by that meaning, we just have to put aside what we're doing and focus our energy into that thing or that person or that event and make that moment, that that part of time, the most important because it's not going to happen again after that. Mm-hmm. Just my two cents on it. <laughs> Just my belly button on it or my opinion, right? We are all, like like belly buttons. We all have opinions. So anyways, this was fun though, Chris. Yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. We have been anticipating and looking forward to doing this deep dive episode on Year of Hell Part 1 and 2 for a while now. We've talked about it. We've looked forward to it. And we were glad we could finally do this. The next time we do a deep dive episode, we'll be jumping back to the Mirror Universe again and looking at yeah. Mirror Universe episode. The next Mirror Universe episode in DS9 in that order. So we look forward to doing that. We have some other amazing episodes coming up and lined up over the next couple of months. We will share those with you as soon as we uh, get those scheduled. And um, we're working on our schedule for the podcast here for the next few months to figure out order of things and then getting other folks scheduled and interviews and discussions and podcast collaborations. And it's going to be a great way to start 2024. And hopefully we can both make it the shuttle pod shows live event. That'd be fantastic. It will be fantastic. That'll be a lot of fun to do. Looking I'm going to plan on, I'm going to plan on trying to be there. I know for me, it's just a, a, a drive down, but uh, I know for you, it's, it's a, it's a longer trip, but <laughs> so I really hope you can make it out, but I'm going to do my, my darndest to try to be there. So hopefully we can make it happen bring you another amazing uh, time at shuttle pod shows live event this year. I think it's in April. Um, so stay tuned for more information on that. We'll bring that to you as soon as we can, as soon as we, we know we get information <laughs> on that, but this was great, Chris. I love yeah, doing these deep dives you. with you. It's so much fun. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I think this, we, this might've been our deepest, deepest dive from the ones we've done. If I can recall. Um, but this, this was most excellent. We've been thinking yeah. about this one for a while. We really have. And uh, we we hope that you enjoyed it. We hope that the anticipation or the buildup was worth <laughs> was worth it. I know that we went we went pretty long on this episode, but we also covered two full episodes of Voyager in this in this deep dive, even though they're yeah. they're connected. But um we really hope you enjoyed it. We look mm-hmm. forward to doing more deep dives in the future. Uh we've done some really fun ones. The the mirror universe ones are great. There's a lot, lot to to get to there. Uh and there's just so many more down the road, whether it be other movies or other Star Trek episodes or whatever we decide to do in the deep dives uh, after that um, are going to be a ton of fun and a lot to talk about for sure. We we might want to do, this thought just came to me, um, whether it's a, like a discussion or a top, like uh, a ranked list, but Star Trek has so many episodes in regards to time. Um, it's like, we may want to like rank our favorite time traveling star trek episodes of what they are um yeah yeah oh and 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 this wasn't janeway's first like encounter with another time manipulating captain because i think she she had one where uh uh 
they went back into the 90s and earth but she she ran into a a captain um, oh a captain from the future yeah yeah captain from the future yep i think that was was that uh past tense no was it pat future's end something like that yeah yeah lots of time travel stuff for sure i also now that i was seeing this real quick chris i was thinking because i just mentioned this earlier we have never done a deep dive on the inner light from tng we have not that yeah, yeah. that would be powerful to do that we might have to write that one down if you guys want us to do a deep dive on the inner light sometime down the road from tng please let us know in the comments below on youtube or send us a message on instagram or facebook which you can follow us there for more uh or um on our email address whichever you prefer that would be a really good one that that'd be a really deep really uh emotionally driven i think episode because it deals with family right and we're mm -hmm. family guys so i think that would be That'd be a that'd be a challenging one, I think, but I think very rewarding and worth it. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be fun. We should do that. Yeah, I think so too. So, all right. <laughs> well, that that's it for us. Thank you so much if you have stuck with us over the last couple of hours. We really appreciate it. We know that this was a longer episode, but we had a lot to get to, a lot to discuss, and we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we we really had a good time, and so be be sure to stay tuned for more coming soon. But the only way you're gonna know. What's coming next is if you either subscribe to us on YouTube or you follow us on Instagram and Facebook for all the latest and greatest so you, you can keep up all over the interwebs. And if you're out in Antarctica <laughs> somewhere, let That's us right. know. So if you do, you will make Chris's year. I'm telling you right now, yeah. you would make Chris's year. If you were in Antarctica listening or watching us, you would make Chris's year. <laughs> Indeed, please let us, yeah, let us know. Absolutely. I want to know what you're studying in Antarctica. Um, you know, whether it's whatever phenomenon it is. And if you're seeing the, the Southern lights. Yeah. Yeah. And let us know, let us know when Scully and Mulder visit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, thank you so much, everybody. As always, we really do appreciate it all over the globe and the interwebs, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, we do appreciate it. Thank you. And we'll catch you next time right here on the random red shirt podcast. <laughs>